It's something that we found a lot of teams have issues with that they've they've lost trust or accountability because especially for people that are working from home and they've never met the person or they're meeting them once and they kind of just when you're in an office and you're coming into the office you get that reliability of the person just at least coming in and then but it, even if people are very very motivated their motivation can wane and they can you know get a little bit distracted and and so a little bit of accountability can be helpful but we don't necessarily encourage everyone to have the screenshot feature which is a little bit monitor it's on the side of the monitoring um we're kind of heading towards a, a product that has more employee friendly aspect so it has the accountability while being as employee friendly as possible G'day folks, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation. Welcome to another episode of the WP Elevation podcast. Now before we get started, a couple of things I need to tell you about this episode. One, I was as sick as a dog when I recorded the episode of this podcast. Two, we had massive audio problems. I'd already cancelled this guest once before because we had technical problems. Technical problems are the bane of my existence and um, I do apologise in advance for the quality of the audio on this call. It's not great, um, particularly my end. I sound like I'm in a sewerage tunnel and I'm about to die. Anyway, the content is fantastic. My feature guest this week is Rob Rawson from timedoctor.com. Of course, that is software for managing your remote team. Rob has been around the block a hundred times on working with remote teams. He is a master at it. He's built a very successful business uh, working with remote teams. He has something like 80 staff now, I think, working in the company. For enterprise clients, they run staff.com, which is all about helping enterprises scale up with remote teams. If you have ever thought about hiring someone offshore to help you, or you have staff offshore and you are convinced that you can be doing a better job managing them, then this is an excellent episode to tune into. Uh, Please do excuse the audio quality and the sound of my voice, but I promise it's worth sticking with it just for the content. So without further ado, let's go and meet Rob Rawson from timedoctor.com. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. Just before we get into this episode of the podcast, I have a quick favour to ask. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes at wpelevation.com slash iTunes. Or if you're not an Apple user, you can get us on Stitcher Radio at wpelevation.com slash Stitcher. And please, if you are on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. It really does help us come up in the search results and get the show in front of a wider audience. And we love your feedback and we read all of the reviews. Thanks in advance. Now let's get back to the show. G'day folks, Troy Dean here on the WP Elevation podcast. I'm very pleased to have with me Rob Rawson from staff.com. Hey Rob, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, thanks. Excellent. Thanks for joining us on the show. For those that have been living under a rock and don't know about you guys, uh, what is it? What, what's your elevator pitch? What is it you guys do? We actually have software which is to help remote teams be more productive and if you have a team all around the world to understand exactly if they're working productively and to track the time that they're working. So this comes out of a need that I had because I actually had a team in the Philippines and I had an office and I was sitting in the office. I didn't want to use the office anymore. I wanted to just work remotely and travel around the world. So I built software which actually helped me to keep track of everyone's time and to accountable uh, of the type of work that they were doing. 
So are you, you're, you come from a development background? Not actually. My original background is a medical doctor, strangely oh. enough, totally out there. Wow. <laughs> totally different. Wow. Ah, so, so was, was time doctor, was that part of, was that yes. part of your original brain? Yes, yes, yes. That was the time doctor is our main product for yeah. remote teams. And that came out of the need that I had. So I had this team in the Philippines and I had an office, I had quite a reasonable team, about 30 people, but I wanted to travel and then I wanted to have everyone work from home and I wanted to have some accountability. Mm. So that's what the software was initially built around. What, what was the business model? I mean, obviously you're not a doctor if you've got... It's, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> the doctor is like a, a coincidence. It's got nothing to do with medicine actually. Right. So it actually, the business model is a software as a service, which means you pay for the software every month. Got it. So, but, and, and what was your business model when you had a team of 30 in the Philippines? What, what were you... I had a team working on Google AdSense and SEO websites. So I was actually building a whole bunch of websites, getting them SEO'd and getting traffic, affiliate revenue, Google AdSense. I was doing Google AdSense arbitrage. I was doing quite well for a while, but it's not really such a sustainable business and it doesn't have a brand. It's got a lot of downfalls. So I made good money for a while, but it wasn't such a good strategy. Uh, a lot of our members and listeners are in the kind of freelance kind of, we, we like to think of them as freelancers growing up into agencies, right? building websites, they're doing SEO, they're doing a bit of pay-per-click, they may be doing social media, doing design and development for clients. They're thinking about branching out. A lot of them have already built a team, uh, which we'll talk about how your solution and your learnings can help them. But for those who are, I know a lot of our audience are just downright petrified of building a team because they've heard the horror stories, right? Yeah. You know, so what, like, what's, like, what's like the first thing that you shouldn't do and like the first couple of things that you should do before you start, you know, hiring a team somewhere else, whether it's down the street, offshore, in another country, it doesn't matter. If they're, if they're a remote team, what are the first couple of things you need to be thinking about before you actually pull the trigger? Well, actually finding the right person is the most critical thing and it's quite difficult because it's quite a competitive market and especially if you're coming in at a lower salary, I don't know what type of range of salaries that people are hiring from, but there's a huge wide variety of salaries, right? So you can hire someone remotely in the Philippines for around a thousand US dollars a month or, or less um, but that's so hard to find an amazing person at that, at that salary range. You can hire at a normal salary, uh, like an Australian salary or a Western salary, and it's going to be a lot easier to find a rock star. Um, so it depends on the salary that you're coming into, in with. Which obviously, if you can afford hire, it's better. But uh, the, the critical thing that I think is to get enough candidates in the door and to really take massive action in, in evaluating lots of candidates so and having a real life test so actually you don't just interview people on a, a kind of a phone interview because if you're trying to find a developer that doesn't really test the skills that they're going to use in the job so I actually use tests that match correctly or exactly the type of work that they're doing so if they're building a website in WordPress then actually get them to build a really small website in WordPress 
Um, you may have to pay for that test sometimes because it's a bit unreasonable depending on the length of the test. I start off with a, a short test, which they don't pay for, mm-hmm. which I don't pay for, which is a free thing. They just do it as part of the application. And, but it still needs to match the skills that they're going to need in the job. And then I try to get as many people through the funnel, like as many people applying as possible so that can really filter out. So you really got to find the needle in the haystack, the person who's really good out of hundreds that are not that great, especially when you're hiring offshore. Uh, if you're hiring someone locally in Australia or the US, it's a little bit easier because the quality on average is higher. You still have bad candidates, obviously, as well. So that's that's the number one is getting enough people. But with remote, the great thing is it's it's possible. Like if you try to hire locally where I'm from in Sydney, it's really hard. You, you put up a job ad and you'll get like five candidates and they're all terrible. Mm. So what do you do? Like you, you're really, really in trouble because you just, you have to struggle and you have to get connections and you have to reach out to people. And it's really hard to get one good candidate. Whereas when you post remotely, you get hundreds of candidates and quite a few of them are good. So it is, it is quite possible to get good candidates. So it's not just looking at hiring people in emerging economies because the cost of labor is going to be cheaper. It's actually thinking about the availability and the numbers of candidates that you're going to get. We had a similar experience when we had a web agency and we were looking to hire locally. It was just impossible. Uh, everyone had a gig or they were doing their own thing. So we ended up using a development team in India because they were available. Uh, right. It wasn't just... And yes, it did work out a little bit uh, more cost-effective for us to do that, but we literally just couldn't hire people in Australia because they were all flat out. They, like, they, they all had so much work on. So right. it's not just about hiring offshore to save money. It's also about finding the right people, right? Right. And you, you'll find that just talking about Australia, Atlassian is probably the biggest uh, tech startup and tech company in Australia is worth $6 billion. They don't hire so much remotely, but they do import a lot of people. So they sponsor hundreds of people to come to Australia. So they're not able to find enough people uh, locally in Australia. And then another example is GitHub. And these guys are hiring at high salaries. They're not hiring at the kind of $1,000 a month, hiring at very high salaries. But GitHub is completely remote and they hire around the world and they just try and find the best talent wherever they're located and they don't care so much about the, the country. But I think both approaches are, are possible. Like I, I've gone for a little bit in between uh, where you, you, you've got the $1,000 a month. I've tried that. I've tried the, the more Western salaries, the Australian salaries, but remote hiring um, and both are valid approaches depending on the type of business that you have. When you're recruiting someone and you're putting them through that initial test, are you looking for skill? Or are you looking for character or are you looking for communication or you're looking for a unicorn? What are you fishing for? First off, what's the first thing you're looking for? Uh, The first thing I'm looking for is the skill. So the actual ability to do the work. And that's why the test is really related to the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. But I think the attitude, if you're going, if you're hiring at a high salary level, like a Western salary then possibly you should look more at the attitude as the first thing. Um, then the skill is almost like a given. Um, but uh, if you're hiring at a little bit lower salary levels or a medium salary level, then I think the skill is the first thing because you want to filter through all of the people that are a bit average in terms of their skill or abilities. 
So one of the things we do is we, when we hire someone, we test them out by giving them a project, but we don't give them all of the information. Right. We want to see how quick they are to come back and ask questions and whether they're, A, are they resourceful enough just to figure it out? B, if not, do they come back and ask questions or are they too proud? Do they go for three weeks because they're too proud to come back and and ask a question? We're kind of testing a little bit of character traits as well as the skill set. Yeah. Um, with the skill stuff, do you use like a, like online tools like tests for geeks or stuff like that if, you, if you're actually testing development skills? We use HackerRank, which I find is quite a good service. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think Facebook has used that at one stage as well. It's a little, it's not so cheap, but it's, it's quite effective. Mm-hmm. And it actually tests using real life coding examples rather than just so you're not, you're not just having multiple choice questions. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of multiple choice, mm. but we do use multiple choice as the first question just to an initial very easy filter. Yeah, yeah. But then after that, it's more actual coding. But I think the example project is, is really great as well. Like you just got to go through initial filter and then get through people for an actual example project or, or just hire them on project work and then start working together and see how it goes. And, and of course, the golden rule is that you don't hire them on a client project that is due to go live in three weeks. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like you give them a, a test project that's already been done before or something that you want to build internally. I know um, right. Campaign Monitor, when they used to onboard developers, the first project they would get, say, for example, they had this one of their developers build uh, an internal lunch booking system because they wouldn't let them live on the code base, of course, when they've just started. So as a way of getting to know their internal processes and their communications and, and their repositories, they said, hey, let's build a little internal kind of you know, lunch booking system for the staff. So that's an example of testing them out, getting them to work on something that's not going to affect a client outcome. Mm, yeah, that's a good idea for sure. Yeah, and what you mentioned before about leaving out a certain bit of information, uh, I think you have to look at the type of work that the person is going to be doing. Are they going to need to look at specs that are a little bit vague, client work where the client's working with them directly and you know the clients often don't know what they want. So you need a, definitely a different person for that type of job uh, as opposed to you've got a very specific instruction as well detailed. You've, you've got it written out in, a, in an issue with like it does exactly this, does this, you've got the designs. That's a different type of person. So if I have got, if I've got a, you know, a little consultancy and I'm doing a bit of design and dev work and I'm really good with clients and I'm good with strategy, what's the first thing I should be looking at delegating to a remote employee? Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's an interesting one. I think that it's partly a result of what you can delegate. So I think you can delegate a lot of the, the development work. You can, de- you can delegate, um, some of the design, what I find is really hard is actually conversion optimization. If you're doing things like that, mm. if you're doing the actual client interaction, the sales is much harder to delegate. So those kinds of things, I, I think part of the decision is, can you delegate or can you find somebody finding a good salesperson offshore, especially to work with an Australian client is going to be really difficult mm. and finding somebody to do Social media, I find, is quite difficult. Mm-hmm. So you just find something that, that actually you 
going to be able to find someone to do. And if you're smaller, then start off with just project work so that you're delegating a little bit here and there. And sometimes it is a hassle in the beginning because maybe you could have done it yourself. But when you find that reliable person, it's going to free up a whole lot of your time and it's going to make your agency a whole lot more effective. We've got a lot of agencies on our platform on Time Doctor. Uh, It's actually the number one category of people using our software is digital marketing agencies and development agencies. And a lot of them are scaling their teams using outsourced or offshore uh, teams because it's really effective. Yeah, of course. Uh, Let's just camp out here for a minute. Um, When you, you know, first start delegating tasks to a remote team member and the work comes back and it's not up to scratch. Yes. I see this happen all the time across our member base is, they post in our Facebook group and they say, oh, well, I've tried outsourcing and I've tried hiring a remote team and they were no good and so I'm just going to do it myself. That's, you can get stuck on that treadmill, right? Yeah. The mindset required to say, okay. Yeah. You know, I think that's really true. It is about the mindset. There's, there's two things. One is about finding enough people and working with enough people and realizing that it is hard to find a good person and there's a lot of very average people out there and then you're going to find that, that many of them are not, not adequate or suitable to work with. Yeah. So you've got to work through a lot of people to find that reliable person. Then you've got to hold on to them when you find them. And that doesn't matter where they're based, right? I mean, that could be someone in the same building could be really average, right? It can be, it can be wherever, wherever, but you'll find a lot more of that issue if you're hiring in India or the Philippines. Like there's a very uh, different attitudes, different skills. The skill level is a lot lower than Australia. So um, you'll, you'll have a lot more struggles with it. But when you, you just got to focus on that this is a huge competitive advantage once you've got it right. Mm-hmm. So you, you really don't ignore it as a competitive advantage. It's a huge competitive advantage. The second thing that people struggle with is the communication barrier because a lot of people run their business by bumping into each other and they're like, oh, yeah, you got to do that. And like they have no strategy or thought around how they're going to meet the person or talk with the person. So they don't ever talk to them actually when they're remote because they don't see them. And so they're like blind to that person. So you need to have a structured meet with them once a day, talk through the project, um, you know, the sort of stand up meeting, you need to have the chat room open all of the time on Slack or whatever it is that you're using. Skype is fine. Um, and then you just constantly you need to a little bit over communicate to compensate for the fact that they're not in the room and you need to have the video sharing. You need to make it feel like they're in the same room. Yeah. Um, yeah. To compensate for those problems. Yeah. hundred percent video is something. Uh, so we introduced the daily huddle about three months ago. Yeah. Team. We've got five staff in the Philippines now we've got okay. five in Australia and we introduced the daily huddle about three months ago. And, we, and it was a video from day one. It was like we're doing a video daily huddle. We all stand up. We've all got sit-down, stand-up desks. We all stand up and we look at the cameras and cameras on. It's not negotiable. And we talk to each other every day to make sure we all know what we're doing. And really, right. it's, I mean, like, I don't really need to know what the Philippine team is doing every day. I don't want to micromanage them. It's about culture for me. It's about understanding right. that we're all part of a team and that right. we're all friends. My business partner and I flew over there a couple of months ago and we met them for the first time and we hung out for a week and... You know, we and it, it was a game changer. It changed the yeah. like We're all going to yeah. Thailand in September for a company retreat, and we're flying everyone yeah. in Koh Samui to all hang out. All the Australians and the Filipinos will get to hang out with each other. Yeah. So you're right. We, I agree with you 100. percent Having the video on and having that over communication, feeling like you're over communicating to the point where it feels a bit awkward. But you need to do that if you're not in the same physical location. 
Right. Yeah. And, and just imagine you came into the office and you just put a balaclava on your head. Like how weird would that be? Yeah. Well, the analogy is you go onto a meeting and you don't have video yeah. uh, and people kind of think it's okay because you're remote, but it's really not okay. Like you, you're in a company and you're, you need to communicate as close as possible to the in the room experience. So I want to talk a little bit about your platform. Uh, staff.com is the website, right? Yeah. The main, the main one for the remote is timedoctor.com. Staff is more for the larger businesses uh, and Time Doctor is more aimed at the remote. And the other thing we have is a, is actually a conference running remote. We just ran it, uh, recently, which is in was in Bali, and we had people who are running remote teams from around the world come and and speak about how to run a remote team. In fact, we've got a lot of free content that's going to post on YouTube on on that as well. Beautiful search for running remote. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, this idea of accountability versus micromanaging. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky one because yeah, there's like a lot. I don't want to see people. I don't want to see screenshots of what people are working on. I feel it's to me. It feels I feel a bit creepy. I get it. I understand accountability is important. Talk me through it. Educate me because maybe I'm just a bit naive or a bit stubborn. I think you you. It's something that we found a lot of teams have issues with that they've they've lost trust for accountability because especially for people that are working from home and they've never met the person or they're meeting them once. And they kind of just, when you're in an office and you're coming into the office, you get that reliability of the person just at least coming in. And then, but even if people are very, very motivated, their motivation can wane and they can, you know, get a little bit distracted. And and so a little bit of accountability can be helpful, but we don't necessarily encourage everyone to have the screenshot feature, which is a little bit monitor. It's on the side of the monitoring Um, We're kind of heading towards a a product that has more employee-friendly aspect. So it has the accountability while being as employee-friendly as possible. Um, I I understand that companies like GitHub that are paying people, you know, 100 grand plus as the minimum salary, they would never use a software which has screenshots. But then the other spectrum is a lot of people who are using our software so that it's really, really invar- invaluable and that just they can't live without it. And without it, they just don't have that accountability there. And it provides a layer of trust where people are able to say, okay, now I can, I can really feel reliably that this person is working. Sometimes things, you know, you talk about being accountable in terms of the work output, which is obviously the most important thing to track, but you can't always tell. Like sometimes things can take longer and then the manager can go, oh, this person's not really working, but they were working. It just took longer than they thought. So mm-hmm. that's, that's where it comes in. It can be quite helpful. So this is interesting because this is like, this, this can work in the employee's favor, right? This can, the, the employee, if they're doing a good job and they're doing the right thing, they can go back to the manager and say, look, man, I was in, you know, I was, I, was, I was in my code editor and GitHub here for like three and a half hours and I had these problems and I know it should have taken 45 minutes, but look, I, I wasn't on Facebook. You can check my screenshots. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that is the case for people that are in the Philippines that might be billing a few different clients and they use Time Doctor for that. So it's definitely the case. I think at the moment, people in Australia wouldn't want to use our software because of that. Uh, monitoring aspect, um, but we want to evolve it into something that perhaps they would use because it's it's less monitoring. But they want to they want to be able to work from home and they want to have at least some proof to their boss um, mm. that they're that they're working. So that's something that we're working on. 
One of our customers is Nick Cree. He's also one of the success stories on your homepage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, yeah, Nick's a great guy, good operator. He's been using some of our software for, for years, so uh, good to see. He's got good things to say about Time Doctor. Um, what, what's the sweet spot for Time Doctor? We've got a lot of members who are looking to start a team or they've got a team. Who's the ideal customer for Time Doctor? It's really people that have a, an offshore team and that they're, they want that accountability for the offshore team. They want to know that they're all working effectively uh, and they, they want to perhaps also pay based on the hours tracked in the software. So if the person's working 120 hours a month instead of 160, that you're only paying based on those hours, that's another use case. Or they can just pay a full-time wage all of the time, but they are uh, tracking the hours and the accountability with the software. So uh, sometimes it can be just for the part-time where, and it can be a replacement of Upwork as well. Uh, some people ha- are using Upwork for their offshore teams, but it can cost up to 20% of the person's salary. So they're avoiding that percentage and they're trying to hire people directly and actually cut out the middleman. Uh, how easy is it to get on board? Do you guys have resources or... Uh, white papers or case studies that people can follow along to try and get their head around? Because it's not just using the software. A lot of this is mindset and communication stuff as we've spoken about. Where do people learn more? Uh, In terms of learning about the working remotely and then hiring people, there is some stuff on our blog, Time Doctor, but I think the runningremote.com will have a lot more information on that, the conference that we have. And if we'll have another conference in July next year in Bali, if people want to attend that. So no, that's a... That's uh, it's, it's around about June or July each year. Uh, that's that's what I can suggest for now. That there is stuff on our blog, uh, the Time Doctor blog, that helps you to understand how to run a remote team and do it effectively. But uh, just really give it a go and don't give up is one of the things that I would say. It's yeah. so effective, and and some of the companies, the agencies that are doing it effectively, are really um, killing it. Mm. with with that team the offshore team it is an iteration isn't it it's not something that it's people's expectations are i'm going to hire someone in the philippines this my expectation when we hired our first va in the philippines i thought they could do social media they could do my video editing they could do my graphic design they could build my wordpress websites for 800 bucks a month right, right. you can't employ someone in australia with all of those skills so right right you can employ someone offshore with all of yeah, those yeah, yeah. So it's working out the role that you need to fill and then hiring a good you know, the right person, regardless of where they live. Right. Uh, what's, how is your team at the moment? Is your team all remote? And- yeah, our team is completely remote. We're actually in 28 countries, so we're not just in the Whoa. Philippines. So we've got a large team in the Philippines and Ukraine, but we've got everywhere. So we actually made the decision to not even consider the country so much when we're hiring and we just look at what's the best person we can find for any, any position that we have. And I find that really hugely valuable for recruiting. Where do you recruit if you if you're like? We don't it depends care. on the type of job, but for for uh, developer jobs, I would go for a Stack Overflow. Is quite good. Mm-hmm. It's a little expensive, unfortunately. They've increased their prices about six thousand dollars a year to post there, but it's very good if you're trying to recruit serious developers on Stack Overflow. Uh, also, onlinejobs.ph is good for the Philippine-type jobs. Mm-hmm. Upwork is really good, and they have a variety of all sorts of people. And then there's a few other sites that are out there. There's remote.com, there's angel.co, 
there's there's a bunch of different sites that you can try. Uh, with Upwork, how do you go if you if you contract someone on Upwork and then you want to get them off Upwork and actually employ them? How does that transition work? Yeah, you can't do that. You can actually pay them a fee to right. do that. Uh, so you're going to have to. You can use Upwork and use our software at the same time, but you can, if you if you hire them on Upwork, then you really are, are meant to pay them directly on Upwork. You're violating the contract if you take them off unless you pay them a fee of a few thousand dollars or something. And loaded question, but of course you use Time Doctor, don't you, to manage your remote? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, this has been great. I, you know, I wish I heard this episode of the podcast when I started hiring remote staff about seven or eight years ago. It would have saved me a lot of time because my expectations were way out of whack with uh, what the reality is and, and I was expecting way too much for way too little. Um, we've learned a lot over the last few years of doing this and I think we've got a pretty good mix now. So um, we're going to put everything we spoke about, we're going to put in the links to the show note in the show notes for this episode. Um, is there anything I missed or where can people, uh, where can people get started? With yeah, I, I, I think there's different hiring processes for different types of jobs. There's one other thing that I would like to talk about is, is that there's, it's really different for a developer. You've got to uniquely cater for each type of skill that you're looking for. So, for example, we're hiring a salesperson and the first part of the process is they have a video and they've got to sell us whatever they sold in their last job in one minute. Mm. So, that's what we do for a salesperson. Then for the developer, we do a development test. Mm. Then for a recruiter, we actually get them some specific skills around that. And um, so for a customer support, we have the first two questions that we give them is something that they don't need any product knowledge of, but they could come up with an answer. It's like, help, my product is not working. What's going on? You guys are crap. You know, it's kind of like a generic question, which does, you actually can answer that without any product knowledge. And it gives you a really deep insight into the person based on the answer that they're going to give. Uh, so, because obviously they need to get more clarification of well, what's not working, etc. Mm-hmm. And so you, you ask these kind of questions as the first question to a customer support person and you give that to a hundred people in the Philippines or wherever, and you're going to find like two or three or four that really have the right answers. And the other 97, terrible. Like their English is terrible. They don't know what they're talking about and they just have a completely wrong idea of how to do customer support. And this is despite the fact that in the Philippines, it's a customer support nation, right? They do customer support for, for Dell and for all these other companies. So you, but when you're hiring remotely, another great thing is that you can hire these Dell customer support people that used to be a team leader, but they don't want to travel for two hours in this crap traffic in Manila mm-hmm. all every day. They, they prefer to work from home. So you actually have an advantage hiring these remote workers because the Dell and, and these big companies are not willing to hire somebody just working from home. Oh, so right. you there's, there's a really, really uh, a huge advantage in getting into this if you're not into it already and then fully optimizing it if you are already on that path. So I really encourage everyone to, to consider that and give it a full try to do uh, offshoring and, and remote working. Awesome. That's been a great pep talk for myself. <laughs> Uh, in fact, we were kind of considering moving all of our staff to a better office down in uh, the valley in Manila in uh, uh, Bonifacio and uh, we pulled out. We decided against it because they would have to travel two and a half hours every day to get to work and back. So there's like a five-hour commute 
every day. And we're like, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. I mean, I wouldn't travel two and a half hours to the office every day. So why would we, why would he, why would we expect our staff in the Philippines to do that? Um, and so they're uh, they're actually all up in uh, Quezon City at the moment, and that's kind of central to where they all live. And well, and they come into the office maybe two or three days a week, and the other days they work from home, and we're totally flexible like that. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, it, and and we've got great tools that we use to manage them. So um, yeah, and if you have that situation where they're in the office as well as from home is is actually ideal because they get to collaborate more effectively while they're in the office, but they also don't have to travel every single day. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people do don't agree with me in terms of having the remote setup and they think you need to have an office set up and they have like a 50 person office in the Philippines. And I think when you get to that 50 person stage, the whole communication collaboration starts getting more difficult. But if you're at the three, four, five person, the office advantage is not quite as big anyway. And, it, it, and having those sort of remote uh, teams is, is totally fine. Yeah. I was talking to my friend Carl Taylor uh, in in the Gold Coast recently. He runs a company called Automation Agency. He's got 35 staff in the Philippines and he doesn't have an office. Uh, he's he's uh, growing the team now in the Philippines and he's like, I don't want an office, man. He said, I'm happy for them to all work from home. He, he supplies generators and good internet connections so they mm. power up. And um, he said, it's a great perk for them to be able to work from home. And he said, I think I'm attracting better quality talent because they want that perk to be able to work from home. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, um, yeah. And you need the right processes in that case for communication. You need to have systems. You need to have written systems like with checklists. We have all these checklists now like step one, step two, step three, all of those sorts of things to keep it so that you don't need to communicate in person as much. 100%. Uh, we're going through that at the moment of like rewriting all of our documentation and actually empowering our, our staff to write their own processes, their own documentation. Yeah. We're going through that whole yeah. process now. Quick sidebar, what do you use for your documentation? We're just using Google Docs. Uh, we actually did try Sweet Process a little bit. I don't know if you're familiar with any of these. We've tried them all and we're back at Google Docs. <laughs> yeah, I find that Google Docs is, is fairly effective, but we have a standard way of doing it with like a tick box and then we kind of have to educate people on how to use Google Docs effectively. Yep. So it's part of the education as well. So these processes is, it's not as much about the tool I and mean, the tool's a little bit important, but it's actually getting people to use the tool. How do they use the tool? Are they following the process? Are they updating the process? So this is like a change management thing. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, for for small entrepreneurs or freelancers, this is hard stuff to wrap your head around. This doesn't come naturally, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's the only way to scale and it's the only way to build any kind of leverage in your business is to have other people do some of the things that you don't want to do. Right. And it comes down to this e-myth, uh, which I think a lot of entrepreneurs have read, the Michael Gerber e-myth, which was around like 20 years ago. And he's all about McDonaldizing your business. And uh, this is even more important when you have people working from home and it's also kind of very, very powerful because once you set up one process and you have these, like you can do videos of your screen explaining how to do everything, then you hire the next person and they watch the videos, just gets everything compounded. It gets easier when you get that working. That's right. What I've realized now is I just recently pulled myself out of our team Asana workspace uh, I don't want to be in there anymore. It's overwhelming. There's too much noise and none of it really relates to me. Um, what I'm finding liberating now is where we have team members who are responsible for writing processes and team members who are responsible for teaching other team members how to write the processes, mm. them having the ownership over that. Um, that's been liberating for me. And that's been, and again, that's just been a mindset shift in me actually letting go a little bit and saying, I don't have all the answers here. I'm yeah. not pissed. 
and all this stuff. Yeah, that, you because you're a good operator, shine. Do you think fact, great, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to get out of your way, you know, because every time I get involved, things break. So I'm going to get out of your way and just let you do your thing. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been doing recently as well and probably left it a bit too late. I mean, we have over 80 people, but we're, we're doing the same thing. We get, I'm getting the team members to really create their own processes and they're doing a great job, actually. Some of them are doing an amazing job. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, Rob Rawson, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you for joining us on the WP Elevation podcast. And uh, I must say a public thank you for putting up with me last week when I had massive technical issues and I had to cancel the show at the last minute. I do appreciate your patience. No problem. Cool. Uh, I'll put everything in the show notes uh, on this episode and people can check out more and learn more about your platform at timedoctor.com. And if anyone in enterprise space is listening, check out staff.com and uh, see what Rob and the team are up to over there. Okay. All the best. Cool. Thanks, Rob. Thank you.